It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Welcome back to Carcon County. I'm James Van Osel, still held here in captivity. And I should plug, before we get into this second episode tonight, I should plug the other podcast I do. I work for 101 WKQX in Chicago, and one of the things I do there is the History of Alternative Podcasts. I co-host it with the Impossibly Handsome John Manley, and every week we talk about a different aspect of alternative music history And this week, since it is the anniversary of the birth of David Bowie and also the anniversary of the death of David Bowie, we go deep into all things Thin White Duke. If you're interested in Bowie at all or the history of alternative, it's it's an hour long conversation uh, covering really every angle of Bowie from Space Oddity through Black Star. And so that's out there. I just wanted to give a quick plug for the other podcast I do tomorrow night on this here podcast. I'll be joined by Sketchbook Brewing. I love, I've said it before, I love the entrepreneurial spirit and energy. It's very indie rock, uh, the, the craft brewing scene in and around the city and suburbs. Uh, Sketchbook Brewing, Evanston, Skokie, uh, very much a, a big part of the north suburbs. We'll be talking to them uh, for the Friday night edition of Carcon Carne. My guest tonight, he is an author. He is a movie writer, producer, and director. He's also someone I've known for 30 freaking years. He is author and filmmaker Mark Feenberg. Good evening, Mark. Hello. How are you doing? 30 years. I, I said this right before we went on, Mark, and people may not appreciate this. You have inexplicably reversed the aging process. You've somehow become younger in some Faustian pact that you've made. Uh-huh. You have not aged. Yeah. Well, that's nice of you to say, even though it's not true, but but I appreciate you saying it. And, uh, and, and right back at you, by the way. I have gray hair. You're being nice. I have gray hair. You're so, much more mature, though, than, than you were before. Thank you. Well, that's 100% true. Uh, so your new, newish book, uh, recently released book, Dad's Great Advice for Teens. Teenagers, teenagers are tricky. I was an awful one. Yes. Uh, and when it comes to sharing the lessons of right and wrong, sometimes we as parents mess that up. So here's your new book. It's here to help. Right out of the gate, Mark, why should teens listen to you? Yeah, well, let's be upfront. They're not going to listen to anybody, really. Uh, so, so it's futile just from the get-go. But uh, I will tell you that uh, my, while my teens won't listen to me, your teens uh, certainly might be more apt to listen to me. You know, they, they don't want to listen to their own parents. But if you buy a book and you leave it on their pillow, uh, they just might read it. And, um, and listen, I have 25 pieces of great advice in my book, plus, uh, you know, maybe seven extra. And, uh, you know, if they listen to two or three or four of them, that's a success for me. It's a success for the parents. Everybody's happy. So the book is out now, and this is part of what will be an ongoing series of great advice books, which I love the concept. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the things I found in reading the book. First off, as an adult, uh, full props to you. There are lessons here I can take away as an adult. Full, there are lessons here that any adult can learn from. I mean, these are kind of universal truths. Well, not necessarily universal to everybody, but I agree. Uh, there's uh, like I, I didn't realize at the time, but uh, what happens is most of the people buying this book are parents, 
and they're reading it first and they're taking advice from it and then giving it to their kids if, if they approve of it. And, and as a result, once I figure this out, my next book is obviously going to be dad's great advice for parents of teens. But, um, but yeah, hopefully they're universal, um, but you, you can't appeal to everybody. The, the one thing I get pushed back on the most, which nobody agrees on, is talking about sex in a book. Number one, a lot of people don't want a book teaching their kids about sex at all. And number two, a lot of people don't like what I have to say about it. It's a little bit controversial out there, and and but I said I, it because that's what teens got to hear. I think. I agree. I, I didn't. I didn't pick up a trace of controversy as I read that. I'm like, oh, this is really. Well, you're important, saying this important stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is. We can't pretend that kids don't have sex. We can't pretend that that's not part of dating and romance at the teen level. And well, you still have, hear a lot of dads out there. I was one of them, actually. The, the genesis of the piece of advice uh, and, and the piece of advice is, you know, figure it, listen to your heart, listen to your brain. And, you know, when you want to when you're ready to have sex, not your parents, not your friends, not your boyfriend or girlfriend, not your preacher, not your rabbi. Um, but the impetus for that advice was not from me. It was from another dad that I interviewed. And uh you know, I was saying I have three girls. This is when they were younger. And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep them locked up from dating until they're 35. And he looked at me and he said, you know, did you have sex when you were a teen or a young adult? And I said, yeah. And he's like, did you, you know, have a bad experience or a good experience? Were you ready for it? And I'm like, yeah, it was fine. And, and he said, don't you want that for your own child, like girl or boy? And you can't argue with that. You know, you want your kids to be happy if it comes down to that. That's, that's you want them to be happy, and you also preach safety. I mean, you, you talk about safe sex. You talk yes. about condoms. I mean, you talk about you know, doing it when it's right for you, but also being smart about it and being safe and being respectful. Yeah, that's the new... There's nothing controversial about any of those things. Well, you'd be... You know, it's a, there's some religious people out there who are still, you know, save yourself for marriage, which, listen, if that's what you want to teach your kids, then then great. But as we know what you teach your kids and what your kids end up doing uh, are two different things. And, and, you know, you cannot, no matter what kind of parent you are, you really can't stop your kid from having sex if they want to have sex and, you know, just teach them the, the new thing I, I'm pushing that I've heard from other parents is uh, you know, it used to be save yourself for marriage. Now I say, save your condom virginity for marriage. Don't uh, you know, make that your thing. Don't have sex without a condom until you're married. So, you know, that that is a little bit more realistic for some kids now. And it's teaches safe sex. So there's one you put forth a lot of umbrella topics uh, and they're all perfectly valid and wonderful. There's one you really could have just made this the book. Yeah. Don't do, don't do really dumb things. Yeah, that's it. Done. Thanks. That Thanks for buying the book. I'm Mark. That's true. That's not great for sales, but it is true. Like dad's <laughs> it is. It's dad's great advice. Number one is don't do really dumb things. Uh, but here's here's the flaw with that argument, James. Uh, as it turns out, most teens need a little bit more definition and direction than just don't. You'd think just telling them not to do really dumb things is enough, but you really have to very closely define what a really dumb thing is because it's not so obvious to to many of them. So that's what a lot of the rest of the book is. Other advice you give. Yeah. This is interesting. Um, be a creator, not a consumer. I, I can read this and I did read this, but I can read it in so many different ways. This to me is fantastic pandemic era advice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of a happy accident because that wasn't the intent when you went into this, but 
instead of watching TV or Netflix or Hulu for endless hours, yeah. create. Yeah. Follow and your muse. Exactly. Exactly. And and by the way, though, I like kids always interpret that, even parents interpret that as um, you know, you have to be an artist, right? If you're you have to be interested in music or drawing or some sort of art. But I think you need to translate it into a wider spectrum of just, you know, instead of sitting around consuming all these things that you enjoy, you know, in a, in a lazy sort of passive way, um, be one of the people that is doing the thing you want to do, right? And, and start doing it. So for one or two of my kids, that means, you know, uh, art being artistic and drawing. And, but for another one of my children, that means, you know, starting a business. She loved 3D modeling. I don't know how she got into 3D modeling, but she did. That's so cool. And she started it. She got a 3D printer and she started a business doing 3D modeling. So, you know, would I call that art? I mean, not in the traditional sense, but she's using her creativity. And, yeah. uh, and that's what matters. Are you, are you, you probably know this. The, the most popular TED Talk of all time. Have you seen it? It was, no. uh, it was by a guy named Sir. I forget his name, but it's literally the number. It has almost 100 million views. And it's all about how schools are sucking the creativity out of our children and they're teaching them you know you need to be right and not wrong right is good don't don't make mistakes and get good grades and and so kids don't want to take chances and kids don't want to be creative and try new things and all that and it's a very convincing argument that um you know creativity even if you go into accounting or finance or business or whatever creativity is, is what sets you apart from all the other, you know, people looking for that job that you're trying to get. So it's a, I think an important one. And along those lines, another thing you advise, and I totally agree with this fail on your way to success. Yeah. It's Make mistakes. Yeah. 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 I mean, we put some, you know, especially parents put a lot of pressure on the kids to get straight A's and, and do it all right. But you know, you learn a lot from the mistakes as long as you learn from the mistakes. Right. But, um, and if you're not, you know, if you're not taking chances, then you're not pushing yourself and kids like kids, the cost of taking a risk as a kid, it seems so much, you know, it seems so high when you're a kid, like to yes. put yourself out there, probably scarier than when you're an adult, but you know, when you look back and you realize, Oh my God, I should have taken more risk. Cause what's, you know, my friends will laugh at me for, you know, 10 days, who cares? Um, so I think that's a, that's a big one that people responded to, too. As we're recording this interview, we're also airing it live on Facebook. Dan Schwimmer just said, just ordered it. Look at that. We made hey, a sale. Look I, at that. I wish I had like a bell, like, like, well, yeah, like James, I'll send you the commission. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you, Dan, for watching, listening, and uh, hope you enjoy the book and I hope your kids get something out of it. I, yeah. Email me, Dan. I'm, I'm happy to, to send an autograph copy to your kids. Now you got to buy And Dan, he's not kidding. His email address is all over the book. It is. That's true. <laughs> Mark, Mark made himself wide open for, for correspondence, which is awesome. We, yeah. we do live in a time when I was talking about this. I was talking about this on the History of Alternative podcast. We live in this time where we have unprecedented access to the people who create art. Yeah. It's it's really I I love it. I think it's fantastic. I I love the fact that I can read your book and send you an email about it. I love it that I can listen to a band that I'm into and send them a message on Bandcamp yeah. or Twitter or or Facebook. 
Yeah, there's a lot of disadvantages of, of our social networking and technology, but that's one of the advantages, I think. I, I love bringing everyone down to this, that same level. I think it's it's, it's punk rock. Well, so it's the equivalent of, uh, you know, interacting, you know, when, when a band is out at a concert, they get to interact with their audience. Now you can, you know, writers can do it remotely. Like before you write a book and you never watch someone read it. Right but now, now I can interact and get feedback. And, and I, by the way, you know, you mentioned I have my email in the book a lot. I throw itself myself out there, and I've invited people to question my great advice, and I've challenged them. If they come up with a good rebuttal, I'm going to put it in the next edition, and I'll have my advice. And then here's David's rebuttal that says my advice is, you know, full of crap. I love it. That's that's high level crowdsourcing going on right there. Yeah, it is a little bit of crowdsourcing, but you know, I don't, I don't there's dads out there. I, like, you know, you asked me, uh, how do I know this stuff? I'm a dad. I have done a lot of studying of, of positive psychology and, and parenting and, you know, read a lot and study a lot, but you know, I don't have all the answers. There's a lot of other dads out there that, have, that are brilliant in what they do. So we're all doing our best. We all, well, we hope, we hope, we're all we hope, we hope we all are exactly. Yeah. So I, I mentioned the pandemic and, we're in this insane time and we're in this time where our teens can turn on the TV on a Wednesday and see the Capitol building under siege. Our kids are homeschooled in front of zoom all day, truly times like we've never experienced before. What advice do you give kids who are just trying to figure everything out as they're inundated with this new cycle that is ferocious and not never ending? Yeah. Well, uh, well, the first thing is it, it is probably tougher on them than it is for us as adults, I think, um, just because 90% of being a teen is being social, right? Um, and even younger kids. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the couple things that I've been hitting home with my kids are I try and point out to them how extremely unique these times are, right? The pandemic alone, you know, this hasn't happened in 100 years at least. And I would venture to say that even back then, it wasn't like the whole world mobilized in a couple of weeks and said, all right, we're all quarantining, right? This is like something that has never happened in the history of mankind. And I try and let them know, like, this is something unique for mom and I too, not just you guys. Um, and then you overlap that with, you know, the kind of presidency we've had for the last four years, which, you know, no matter your political party, you have to say it's been a unique four years. And, uh, and you know, I kind of remind them of that too. Like there has not been a presidency like this before and there has not been people storming the Capitol like this. And this is all like crazy stuff. And, and then you say this too shall pass, right? Like it does get better. And even now, like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? We have a vaccine that people are getting. And so, you know, at least now we can say, all right, in March, April, May, June, July, you'll have the vaccine and life will go back to whatever normal is going to be when we, when we get back to it. So I think those are the sort of things that, that I tell my kids. And, and then I also remind them, listen, the stakes are pretty high. You know, you, know, the, the, you talked about dad's great advice. Number one, don't do really dumb things. Part of the message there is, you know, it's when you're trying to figure out if something's really stupid, you look at how probable it is that you'll get caught or get hurt. Right. And then the consequences of that. And then what I tell kids is throw away the probability because you're, you're awful at deciding what the probability is. Whatever you think the probability is, it's a thousand times higher than you think. The police are definitely going to show up and you think they won't, but they will. And, uh, and I say, just look at the consequences. And for, you know, the pandemic, the consequences are, 
you could die yourself. You could kill your parents. You can kill your grandparents. You can kill someone that you just run into on the street. And it's worth staying home to avoid that. So that's what I try to remind them. But listen, you know, it sucks for them. What are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, the, the best I can, and I've shared a lot of similar advice. I mean, the best I can do is just keep checking in. Because yeah. I, I know as an adult, my opinions, my my mental health, my my wellness can turn on a dime during all this. Yeah. I mean, day by day. I mean, every hour can be different. So I, I think the best thing I've been able to do is just do constant checks. You're doing all right. Anything yeah. you want to talk about? So I, because it is so weird and they don't have that social outlet, Yeah. which I mean, I remember when we were kids, I mean, that was, that was everything. It is, it yeah. still is everything, but. And, and listen, and then you sort of work on creative ways of getting them, you know, the best that you can, meaning you make it easy for them to do zoom meetings. You know, my, my youngest son, he used to have a game, you know, he could play games for X number of hours a day. Now as a new rule, as long as he's playing with a friend, you know, over, over the internet that he's talking to, he can play an unlimited amount of Minecraft, which is crazy how much he's taken advantage of that. Uh, <laughs> but he's playing with his friend. And so he's, he's not locked in his room all alone. And so that worked, right? Uh, once we go back to normal, hopefully we'll, we'll push him towards some different types of interactions. But for now, uh, you know, that's, that's the bone we can throw him. And so you try and find that, that stuff. By the way, I'm not chugging a beer as we're talking. I'm drinking the sure, Lagunitas. It's, it's the Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher. It's their carbonated hoppy drink. This is delicious. James, I know you're from high school. I, I, I venture to say you might have been one of those people that pour the beer into the Coke can. No, you didn't know that trick? I, we just did it in the car when went home okay. during during lunch break. Is, you, oh, you didn't even, okay. It was much more easy. Uh, but I mean, that, that, that kind of opens the door. When we were younger, I feel like things pre-internet, pre-mobile phones, things were so much looser. There was a lot, there were a lot more leaps of faith that had to be taken by parents with their teenagers. Yeah. The culture is so different with kids yeah. now, with, with going out. I mean, you talk about, you know, the cops will show up if you even if you don't think so. Are kids finding their way to as much trouble as we did when we were young? I don't know. I mean, I I, I think some things have gotten easier for them and some things have gotten a lot harder. Like if you think about, um, you know, how when when you got lost or ran out, like you didn't have a cell phone back then and you were really in trouble, right? Like you had to go find a stranger. So, and they don't have that and we can track their phones and know where they are at all times. But, you know, the pressure from social media now, like when, you know, when we went to high school, we just had to worry about the jerks at the high school bullying us and making fun of us. And now, you know, it's the whole world that could make fun of and bully a kid. Right. The speed um, of the internet. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, I think it was much easier for our parents to know what was going on in our lives um, because they could hear us on the phone or what. Now, I think with Snapchat and like my son could be texting some 50 year old fat guy in Venezuela who, or Minsk. Who, yeah. I mean, I don't want to think about it. So, and it's really hard to, you don't want to track that stuff uh, ideally, and it's hard to do it anyway. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of the stuff that scares me is, you know, finding out that there could be, you know, if your kid is smart about it and they don't have to be that smart about it, they could, they could hide some potentially really big problems and you won't know their problems until, you know, your kid flies off to Venezuela. Fair. One thing you bring up, 
a lot of your topics follow this theme of finding oneself, finding your, your own place in the universe. And it's most evident with don't please your parents. Yeah. That, is, that is solid advice. I'm glad you say that. That has gotten uh, a lot of parents upset. They're like, you know, they're supposed to make their children happy, that your, your parents happy and, and, you know, but no, I think it's a recipe for disaster. I think it's, it's terrible, but a lot of parents do not agree with you and I on this one. It's uh that, you know, that's, that's weird insecurity talking there because we're talking about people, kids finding their way and, and figuring out who they are and their place and yeah. what they love, what their where their passions are. I think it's easier. I think it's easier for parents to do that uh, in the career aspect. I think a lot of parents are not putting as much pressure on their kids to be doctors or lawyers or whatever they envision their kids being. I think it's uh, that we haven't made as much progress in putting pressure on their love life and their love interests. I think a lot of parents still want their kids to marry within their faith or their culture or some other restrictive group. And uh, I think that falls into the same category. I mean, I tell a story of a, a close uh, friend of mine from, from college. She was a, a traditional Indian woman and came from a traditional Indian family and a lot of pressure on her to marry within the Indian culture and her brother the same way, but she fell in love with a Cuban guy and she kept it secret for five years. And her brother married a traditional Indian woman in a sari with a bindi and all that. She finally revealed herself to her family, married the Cuban guy. They kind of shunned him a little bit, but eventually accepted him. Skip to five years later, the traditional Indian woman that the brother had married was the worst woman in the world, treated the family terribly, stole from the family, treated the parents awful. She was a terrible person. They ended up divorced. And the, the Cuban gentleman was a mensch and treated everybody like a queen and, and had the most respect for everybody. And the parents came around and they said, you know, we're sorry. Like they, they, put, they, they put this one little label of being this culture ahead of find a good person to marry. So it's tough to do as a parent, I think, for a lot of people. Is this lesson of don't please your parents something hard learned on your end? Like, did you have to find figure this out for yourself in your relationship with your parents? Luckily, no. I, I think maybe I focused on this because my parents, I think, were pretty good at not pushing us in that direction. And it was obvious to me that we were the exception to the rule. I ran into a lot of other, a lot of other friends who were studying pre-med. And I'm like, you hate it. Why are you doing it? Like my parents want me to be a doctor. I'm like, well, do they know you're miserable? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, so why? Like they want me to be a doctor. I'm like they don't care that you're miserable. And they're like, no, that's what they want. And, and I'm like, well, what do you want? They're like, I feel obligated to give my parents what they want because they gave me, you know, a good childhood or whatever. And, you know, I, I understand the thinking. I just think it makes for miserable kids. You know, I, what I say in the book is <clears throat> kids that try and make their parents happy end up as adults who are trying to make their parents happy. And most of those adults end up as adults talking to therapists about, you know, constantly trying to make their parents happy. Talking about finding oneself, Explain what contradistinctive is, because this is a, a topic that comes up in the book. Yeah, this is, a this is a fancy way to say something else. It's a fancy way to say be different, right? Contradistinctive just means being different. And by the way, I didn't come up with that. That was my daughter 
she's uh, she's the nerdy one. And she, I'm like, that's great. So so you learn something from your kids. Uh, but I didn't give her credit in the book. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, it just means uh, it, it's sort of similar to the other thing we talked about, which is, you know, take chances. And one of those chances you have to take is is don't be afraid to be yourself because it sucks. You know, when we were in school, I know there's there was at least five kids that came out of the closet 10, 20 years later um, because they weren't safe. And we, it's not like we came from this urban high school. It was a somewhat safe high school. And, uh, and back then, kids didn't feel comfortable being themselves if they were LGBTQ. And, um, and it's awful. I mean, kids commit suicide over that. And yeah. uh, so, you know, that's, that's, you know, one of the more extreme examples, but, you know, uh, even my kids, I, they feel peer pressure to like a certain band or like, you know, uh, some, somebody on TikTok when they don't really, but their friends like it. And, you know, it's, it's no way to, to grow up, you know, hiding, you know, what you're truly after. I mean, you shouldn't have to apologize for it. And as long as it's not illegal or hurting somebody, you know, you gotta, you gotta be yourself. So, and I'll tell you, I come from a community and I'm, you know, I live on the West coast now where my friend, uh, my, my daughter has a friend, uh, who, when she was in eighth grade decided she was a boy, uh, and identified as a boy. And when she went to high school, she, she, she changed her name and she, she changed her pronouns and, uh, and it was a seamless transition for her, for him, I should say. I'm still, still not good with it. Um, but it was an amazing thing to see, like in just one generation, how comfortable kids can be changing their gender, you know, at that age, at that young age, and not be bullied for it. And like, just the happiness it brings a kid to do that. So that, that to me is a positive step. For sure. Okay, so the book... Dad's great advice for teens. It is a, a quick, really smart read. And you said it at the beginning of the interview. This is something maybe you just leave with your kids. Maybe don't say, "I've got, here's a book that you need to read. I think if you just leave it somewhere obvious, they'll dig into it and they'll tear through it. And it, it, this isn't heavy handed. It's not ham fisted in any way. This is just this is smart stuff. And it's told in this is to your credit as a writer. I mean, it's told in a very relatable way. You're young at heart. Which is another point you make in the book. Don't grow up too fast. And clearly you haven't. Yeah, I haven't grown up at all, obviously. I mean, both both my my good looks and uh, and my maturity level, right? Which Dude, is I, I'm right there with you. I'm wearing a band hoodie. I've got records yeah. behind me. I just ate some cherry sours. Uh, I had some pink lemonade before. I, I'm right there with you. I'm in no hurry. Well, I mean, well, why why should we, right? There's, there's, no, there's nothing better than acting like a, a teenager. Everyone's exactly. Home. Before I let you go, I mentioned at the at the onset, at the beginning, previously on Carcon Carney, I mentioned that you are a writer, a director, a producer of films. Uh, Play the game in two thousand nine. It was a high water mark for you. You wrote it, you directed it, and while it's true that Andy Griffith was in it, Doris Roberts was in it, Clint Howard was in it. Eagle yeah. Bauer, Eagle Bauer from Rock and Roll High School. You got Clint Howard in the movie. Yeah, I've always been a fan of his. And uh, I love Clint Howard. I know. He's great. He's great. And he's a fantastic actor and person. He is uh, just funny and wacky and just a great person. Just fantastic. 
So that, was, that was father, that by was, the way, was in the movie too. He he who was his father. He uh, we needed to cast another role, and he said, "Why don't you cast my dad?" And I'm like, "Make it happen, dude!" Like I called up his dad, and next thing you know, his father's in the movie too. It was fantastic. And this was one of Andy Griffith's last roles. It was his last role. It was his last role. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It was sad. Very sad. This was a hugely successful movie. This was one of the most successful independent flicks of that year. Um, so with this new direction in publishing, with these great advice books that you have planned, you have this one out, Dad's Great Advice for Teens. Does that take your eye off filmmaking for a little bit? Or are, you, are you kind of double dipping right now? How, how are you balancing things? Um, you got to juggle it all, right? You got to, you got to keep it all going. So I, I still do that. In fact, I'm very close to, we, we just had a very good day, uh, last week and, and got a big investor on, uh, signed on. So we're almost there. If you got 20 bucks to throw in the next movie, James, call me and let me know. I can and find call, 20. I, I forget 20. Mr. Schwimmer's name about my book, you know, have <laughs> call and invest in the next movie. Um, no, I'm still working on, on movies. It's a much slower uh, process. It's a very, very difficult, slow. It's a totally different world. Uh, the Hollywood industry doesn't, doesn't have the same rules uh, that we're used to, but, um, but it's, it's, it's fun. It's interesting and it's, and it's creative. So yeah, I still, I still do that. And I still consult to other movies as well. Uh, so I've been keeping busy in that area too. Uh, you're, you're living your best life, Mark Feenberg. Ah, I, I hope so. I hope so. We'll, we'll see. Thank you. All right. So again, if you're listening, if you're watching, the book is Dad's Great Advice for Teens. And uh, I mean, true to form, it's truth in advertising. It's great advice for teens. Ah, I, I hope so. I'm glad, I'm glad you say that. Tell, let me know what your teens say, though. That's the key. I, I think my oldest teen might be too cool to read it. Yeah. My, my younger teen, uh, freshman in high school, th this, will, this will be perfect. All right. Well, when you see a, a total turnaround in her, her her behavior, you know, just give the credit to me where it's due. Right. She's she's developing a bit of a snarky, um, oh. <laughs> snarky edge. I for the life of me, I don't I don't know where she gets it from. And yeah, uh, where does she get it? We're going to need to hammer that out somehow. So maybe it's the Mark Feenberg book that'll set set her down the path of righteousness. Oh, Mark, okay. thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It was really fun. I appreciate it. It was great uh, getting back in touch.